Welcome to the very first episode of PSQH the podcast. I'm your host Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. This is going to be a bi-weekly podcast covering the hottest topics in patient safety and quality. On this episode, I talked to Jessica Dudley, MD, Chief Clinical Officer at Press Ganey, about what she's seen as hospitals respond to the COVID-19 outbreak. And now, on to my conversation with Jessica Dudley. Hello, and welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm Jay Kumar, the Editor-in-Chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Jessica Dudley, MD, who's the Chief Clinical Officer of Press Ganey. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, obviously, we're in the middle of, uh, I guess it's, you know, for a lot of us, it's week four of uh, the uh, COVID-19 quarantine. I've been, I know I've been working from home for the last month or so, and, um, you know, obviously a lot of people have. But Jessica, wanted to talk to you today about sort of the impact that COVID-19 has been having on hospitals and, and healthcare organizations and what you've seen in your, in your role um, as, you know, as this is worn on, um, I wonder if you could tell, uh, our listeners a little bit about sort of what you do for Press Ganey. Sure. Um, I am the chief clinical officer for Press Ganey and, um, I've, um, only started there about five months ago before that, um, I was at Brigham and Women's Hospital for the past 25 years. I was the chief medical officer, of the physicians organization for the prior for the last 12 years. And then before that, I was a primary care physician and had a variety of other management type positions throughout um, the partner's healthcare system. But um, the role at, that I have at Prescani has really um, uh, been found, been um, was found was uh, really based on um, what I've been doing most of my entire career, which is, working directly with physicians to uh, engage them in improving outcomes for patients. And um, that is something that I've been incredibly passionate about. And it was an opportunity that Prescani really saw as a a way to bring physicians um, along in the work that Prescani is doing, which is really uh, focused on helping transform how we are uh, providing healthcare uh, across our system. So uh, making sure that patients' voices are heard, um, that their experience of care is um, made transparent, so those who are providing care are then able to deliver it in the safest, most effective, highest quality way possible. And I was brought on to uh, help advance that work with physicians and other clinicians. I bet you uh, never anticipated having uh, something like this come your way uh, so soon into your tenure. Yeah, none of us did. And even though um, certainly in Boston and other places around the country, for sure, everybody has been challenged by uh, unanticipated, um, whether it's natural disasters or uh, man-made disasters, um, we meet those challenges all the time in healthcare, but this particular challenge with COVID um, has really been uh, unique in terms of its intensity and the uh, duration of it. And in that sense, yes, it has been very different. And what have you seen in terms of preparation for hospitals? Obviously, you know, we, there's plenty of uh, discussion about sort of what went wrong from a federal level, but you know, how were hospitals prepared for 
something like COVID or, or were they prepared? Yeah. So I feel, I think most hospitals um, work very hard regularly to prepare for potential disasters and they drill for that so that when they happen, because they will happen, um, hospitals are at the ready and able to respond. And I think most folks in healthcare, no matter what the, the position is, know that that is part of their job. So in that sense, there is a level of anticipation or preparation that is there. Um, so I think that, that that is helpful and certainly I'm sure has enabled uh, the healthcare um, system to respond as constructively as it has. For sure, there are a number of things that certainly didn't go um, or haven't been as um, anticipated as well as anyone would have wanted them to be. And that's the stuff that has been well covered on the news, whether it's with testing or personal protective equipment resources or other um, supplies. Um, and we, we've all heard a lot about them not being at the level of preparedness that we'd like. But I do think most hospitals, with, in spite of not having those types of resources, have been as, have done an amazing job uh, rising to the occasion so that they could meet this challenge, which had all of those other additional challenges layered on top of it. And that is because they tend to anticipate and prep for types of things like this, although there has never been anything exactly like this. Right, because pandemic preparation is certainly, you know, something that hospitals do. I mean, obviously, you know, not having actually undergone something like this here, um, this is a, you know, pretty overwhelming event for a lot for everybody. But um, obviously, there were, you know, plans in place. It's just a, you know, I think a lot of a lot of times it's whether it's supplies or just personnel or just the demand uh, that's stressing organizations. You know, all these things are sort of contributing to the situation that we're currently in. Yes, and I, and I think that's a really good point that you're bringing up, especially with, and I think this is something that we've seen, which is the impact of this particular um, experience on caregivers themselves getting sick. And I think that that is, um, or, getting, or getting exposed and being unable to work. And um, I think that that... Um, was difficult or has been very difficult and maybe a bit of an unanticipated um, outcome of this and one that's, you know, uh, institutions have really had to become incredibly innovative in how to respond to that. Definitely. Um, Prescaney, you know, you guys do a lot of work with high reliability. Um, I wanted to ask how, how can high reliability best practices help organizations uh, in situations like this? Yes, and I, I think that's so important. And a lot of the universal skills that um, we help promote for high reliability or for organizations to become high reliability organizations are so important to be practicing during this time. And uh, I wanted to highlight, I think a couple of them are incredibly critical. And as we're now, as you said, about four weeks into this, I would say that that has become increasingly clear for so many reasons why these 
uh, skills and practices are so important. So for sure, one has been the real incredible importance of reliable communication, including daily check-ins, daily huddles, even if they're done virtually, that are creating the space so that um, communication happens and it really is bi-directional communication. So um, uh, the most up-to-date information is provided to everybody and that um, those receiving the information have the opportunity to uh, ask questions so that they can then use that information to address the specific situations that they are encountering. And it is, it is that opportunity for it to be bi-directional and to have that dialogue that is really important. We talk a lot outside of these types of, outside of COVID for sure, about psychological safety and uh, ensuring that everybody who's on the team has the opportunity to speak up and articulate when they don't think something is being done as well as it as it should be, or they uh, can detect something that that looks different. Um, and so having that psychological safety where everybody is comfortable speaking up and not just comfortable speaking up, but knows that it is their their job, their role, their responsibility to be speaking up when they uh, notice something that isn't going well, or maybe they've discovered a way to do something that could really benefit others. So this kind of regular, reliable communication that enables everybody to participate is really critical. Um, so that's one thing that I would really want to stress. I think the other, other things that are so important are that um, updates on things like equipment and supplies, updates on resources that are available, whether they are for employee overall physical and emotional well-being, uh, what the community has been able to provide, and what is happening outside of their uh, institution. All of that communication is really critical. Um, that's great. And, and obviously, um, you know, we're, I guess, a few months into it, really, if you look at the beginning of the, of the uh, you know, sort of the outbreak. But you know, what are some of the lessons learned um, that you've seen, you know, sort of from the beginning of this? Obviously, we're going to be going on for a while here, but, you know, but what have you seen uh, as far as lessons learned so far? So I, a number of, of very, like, constructive, positive things, um, I think, have um, appeared, I'm, I'm trying to think of, the, of a better word for this, but, uh, but there have been a number of, I think, incredibly constructive things that have developed from a situation that has been so incredibly challenging with uh, unanticipated demands and impact uh, on every individual that's kind of working on the front lines in healthcare. I think the positives have really been this um, incredible collaboration um, willingness to share in a very candid way and um, be incredibly creative in finding solutions to challenges that didn't exist yesterday. So when you're treating a illness that has no cure and you need to use the resources you have and then your frontline caregivers 
who are trained to do something um, may get sick and they need to be then replaced with other caregivers. The amount of coordination that takes to train up people who may not have done some of these things for many years, whether they're nurses or physicians, and then, uh, but seeing them uh, happy, excited to step up and help solve problems and challenges that are really, really difficult, that they may not feel as comfortable solving as what they are normally comfortable doing, because most people in healthcare are very expert at what they do regularly. We are asking people, people out of need, out of necessity to step in and do things that they may never, that they haven't done for a long time. And they are rising to the occasion, working together to help develop the skills and then are delivering them. So that has been, I think, um, one of the most remarkable and inspiring pieces of this uh, entire pandemic experience. I think, um, like I said previously, the amount of transparency and communication um, has been really also incredible and something that I'm hopeful will continue even after this. And we will get further faster when we are transparent and allow everybody to participate in the discussion. So I think that that is a, a really important kind of opportunity for us to continue even when we get through this. I would say the third third part, um, which I, I already talked a little bit about in the first, is um, I am in awe of the incredible selfless um, commitment uh, that every everybody in healthcare has been um, demonstrating since this started. And the, again, the step up, this is what we do, we are going to help, we are going to solve these problems, um, has really been remarkable. I think on the flip side, the things that I'm worried about um, because of all of this, so one are the caregivers themselves who you know, have risen to the occasion. It is what they've trained for, or even if they haven't, they are aware of this and they step up and they do it, but both the physical and emotional impact of this is really significant. Um, whether it's taking care of patients who can no longer have contact with their family members. So caregivers, in addition to providing their clinical expertise, are working so hard to try to support these individual patients who are now separated from their family. And that is taking an emotional toll, not just on patients, but on caregivers. In addition, watching their colleagues get yeah. sick and then having to take care of them has been, I, I think, incredibly challenging for many. So that is what I'm most concerned about, is the both the physical toll and the emotional toll that, that is going to be felt by people providing frontline care right now. Prescani has been, you've been having sort of regular uh sort of calls with uh, member organizations, correct? Just to, since this has begun, uh, what have you been hearing from, uh, you know, folks obviously working, you know, in, you know, on the front lines of this? So about a month ago, we reached out to colleagues across the system and asked if they wanted to participate in a collaborative 
And overwhelmingly, folks said, yes, we'd love to try it out. So we've had, um, for the past month, we have our fourth call this afternoon. We've had our COVID-19 caregiver collaborative, and we have about 60 individuals, um, both physicians, nurses, uh, and some other clinical roles, as well as some administrative leaders um, who are participating across um, probably representing over 25 states. And um, we've really let the agenda be very organic to meet the needs of the participants. So the first session, um, we actually let the discussion flow pretty freely, but it became clear that there were about six areas people were really interested in discussing and sharing experiences. That was physical safety, um, emotional safety, um, trying to remember, I don't have the list right in front of me. Um, there was um, ethical issues around care rationing and, that might come up um, and, and how to kind of deploy healthcare workers who might be at higher risk. Uh, financial concerns uh, were present for uh, some communication was also um, critical. And um, I think there's, I think I only listed five. I'm sorry, I forgot the last one off the top of my head. Um, but those issues became the ones that foundationally um, we were able to use to anchor our discussions. And I would say the first couple weeks, the major areas of discussion were the personal protective equipment and the other concerns around physical safety the um, ethical challenges, and then uh, some of the psychological, emotional challenges. Um, and then communication was very much highlighted. I would say what we've realized over time, especially in the last week, is um, folks across the country are at very different uh, stages of the pandemic. So there are places in the country that are still in the pre-surge phase and they have, right. and, and depending on what phase you're in, your needs and focuses are very different. So folks who haven't yet surged, they have time to plan and they have really appreciated being able to hear from the folks in the collaborative who are in the surge or peaking in their surge. And those folks have been really wonderful in sharing the things that they've done that have really worked, as well as some of the things that uh, have been more challenging. So that, that's that been an unexpected um, and I think incredibly valuable outcome of participating in the collaborative is to be able to share experiences, especially when folks are at different places on this continuum. Tell me a little bit more about uh, the, so the emotional side of things, emotional support that, you know, you can provide for your staff. Obviously, this is an unprecedented situation. How are organizations helping their staff that are overwhelmed physically and emotionally? Yeah, and I will say it has been remarkable to me to see the innovation even in this space. So I've been focused on uh, clinician well-being for the last, for the probably the past four years. It's become nationally a, a really hot topic. Mm -hmm. National Academy of Medicine did a huge uh, uh, kind of uh, 
discussion paper about this in October and had a very big meeting around it. It's been top of mind for many. I will say that uh, in this crisis environment, the creativity and breadth of what institutions are doing to try to support their caregivers has been terrific. And I, I know that folks are still working on their responses, but I've been, I'll share some of them because I think they've been incredibly um, helpful. So for sure, reminding caregivers that they need to take care of themselves first is really critical and something most people in healthcare are, are not good at doing, but it's very clear that you must take the time and put on your personal protective equipment. And uh, you need to take a day off or at least some hours off every day. And you have to uh, do things to mentally and physically remove yourself from the stress that you are experiencing. And it's never been more important uh, to do those things so that you keep yourself healthy and that you can return to help everybody again the next day. So um, I think organizations have been incredible at proactively reminding clinicians that they need to do that and enabling them to do it by um, making it easier to access those resources. In the first couple weeks, we saw you know, sessions that were being scheduled, I would say as people move into a surge, most of the resources are provided more on an on-demand basis. So many institutions have leveraged their behavioral health resources, so their psychiatry and psychology and social work resources, to either schedule specific times during the day where individuals can call in or virtually connect to uh, just uh, share their experiences. And they have also set up individual scheduled times that um, caregivers can schedule appointments on their own to have a discussion if they want to do that. Um, and I think that that's been aggressively promoted in a, in a constructive way, and, and that's very helpful. A lot of places have really focused on peer resilience and peer support, and I actually think this is incredibly important but uh, one, one of our organizations has created peer support that's facilitated by a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and there is a cohort of people who will come together and, and uh, kind of virtually meet at a set time to process through what they've, process what they've been going through. And the, the process of, um, being able to speak about what you are experiencing and share it with others and have the support and feedback can really help people in their ability to continue uh, to be able to do this work and stay healthy while doing it. So I would say that's been a very clear kind of emotional support component. Um, there are places that have set up buddy systems where they have asked everybody to find a buddy and to check in with them daily and they've been doing that kind of globally across their care force, their entire caregiver force. And I think that that's a, a really great approach to this as well. Um, you also mentioned um, from uh, talking to folks that ethical issues um, were another big concern. What are some of the ethical issues that um, hospitals are running into right now? 
Sure. So, and, and much of these have now been publicized as well. I think um, so. One of them that clearly on the news a lot has been: uh, Will there be enough ventilators? And if there aren't, how do we make decisions as to how to ration that limited resource? I think one thing that um, has become very clear is that should not be in the hands of any individual. And that should be something that is made as a collective group uh, with a policy established so that everybody can then follow that. And we have seen institutions in the same city that are normally uh, competitors with each other put aside all of that and work collaboratively on approaches to these concerns around rationing. We have seen within institutions those discussions happening so that an individual doesn't have to make it. And we've seen those institutions within a city trying to work collaboratively to come up with a set of policies that are sane. And then we've even seen states that have uh, pushed even harder to make it more uh, consistent. And I think that approach of, of creating more structured policy types of decisions um, at levels that are far above an individual having to make it has been um, really important when it comes to, especially folks in this country, which is a very wealthy country, uh, being faced with uh, issues of rationing um, care. And yeah, you mentioned sort of they need to sort of revise or come up with new policies. I imagine that that's going to be a big step, you know, once this is, we're past this and there's sort of an after action review, um, I imagine a lot of, you know, there'd be a lot of sort of policy changes or revisions um, going on, you know, basically after we've learned all the lessons we can learn. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, so I, do, I think you bring up a, a couple of good points. I mean, I think one, the concept of an after action review is going to be critical for all of this. And, uh, you know, I think they're happening to small, uh, to a small extent, um, especially for folks who are still in planning phase. It sounds like in most of the surge areas, um, it really is just trying to get through every day um, so that they can make it back for the next day. So I do think that that will happen after, and maybe some of the good that will come out of that will be um, you know, addressing things that, you know, as we're beginning to see that the health disparities that we know exist uh, often leading to uh, different populations or different backgrounds having different types of access to care and then putting them at higher risk for uh, worse outcomes with this. I'm hoping that will create more attention to what we, what we know, which is we do have a lot of social disparities that our healthcare system doesn't normally support, which healthcare systems in other countries do, and hopefully that will be something that will be tackled better going forward. Um, so that that is something that I, I hope folks see as they go through this. You know, what can leaders do uh, to sort of effectively manage their organizations during this time? Obviously, there's a lot of immediate considerations, but what, you know, from a, from a leadership standpoint, what, you know, what are you advising, um, you know, folks to kind of do as they, as they deal with this situation? So I think there's a, a, a lot of things that leaders can do and are doing, which is, again, has been wonderful to, to 
see everybody rise to the occasion. So for sure, some of the things we've already talked about, the importance of communicating in a succinct, reliable way so that there is a source of truth that everybody in the organization is able to access is so important. I would say more than ever, having leaders visible, whether they're doing virtual meetings or in-person rounding is so important so that those who are on the front lines know that their leaders are there supporting them. I think leaders going out of their way to dem to express the appreciation they have for everybody who is coming in to take care of everybody uh, is so important. So that expression of appreciation and the uh, and expressing gratitude and um, that uh, you are, of course, so uh, so much valuing your uh, work is is so important, and it's every worker because the hospital cannot run without everybody there. And we have seen leaders doing this reliably. They are sharing uh, small anecdotes. We even at the top of like a daily communication that comes out that has all the logistics. We have seen leaders put a little snippet at the top that tells a story that one individual um, contributed to remind everybody that every individual contribution is so important. I think that is really important right now for leaders to um, be really transparent on their appreciation and um, their gratitude for what everybody is doing. I think it's really important that leaders are working as hard as they are to make sure that caregivers have the personal protective equipment and that they themselves are being kept safe and supported through all of this. We've also seen many leaders engage with the local community who also want to give back to caregivers and patients and help organize ways for uh, either uh, patients' families or caregivers to get food or other types of support that the community is looking to provide. So I think all of these are really important opportunities for leaders. And, um, you know, I have seen so many uh, really trying to, to creatively provide this transparency and support. Well, that's great. Um, and what are some some short-term and long-term goals that organizations can put into place as this outbreak wears on? So I think short-term right now, it really depends where you are um, in this, in the search, um, whether you're still planning or you're in it or you're plateauing. And I, I don't actually think anybody's really out of it yet. Um, I think in the short-term, um, so, so for anybody who's, let's say now, I think much of what we've talked about is really important. So ensuring the safety and support of the workforce, um, really um, in reminding people to take care of themselves and putting all the resources in place so that they can do that, figuring out how to get the whole team to continue to come in to support uh, each other. Those are really um, critical things. Um, and, you know, again, verbalizing um, that, that folks are doing a good job, sharing the positive feedback. This was something I meant to mention. Um, 
any kind of positive feedback should be emphasized right now. And, you know, one of the, we didn't even, we, we do, as you know, Prescani does um, patient experience surveys and workforce employee surveys. And when we looked at our data from earlier on uh, in this, so in the January through March timeframe, um, it was fascinating to look at the comments from patients who were in areas where, and mentioned COVID, and, and I think we've sent you this, or we can send you this, um, but even though patients were clearly concerned about things like testing and cleanliness, appropriately so, they're, um, they were so grateful um, to the staff and the caregivers who were providing them care um, and the professionalism of the folks providing them care and feeding those comments back can actually really make a difference because it reminds the caregivers of uh, the impact they're having. And I think anything positive is important because the caregivers are seeing so many challenging things that they never expected to see. So this kind of in the short term, reminding people of the positive is really important. You know, we have institutions who play a song when a patient is actually discharged from the hospital um, so that it reminds everybody that like people are getting better and they are going home. So those types of things I think are really important. Um, in the long term, there's a lot of learning to be done from this. And I do think it is gonna make us much stronger um, as we go forward. I'm hoping that the lessons about transparency and communication will stay with us. I'm hoping that um, you know the lessons that we have learned where we weren't prepared uh, for this will uh, stay with us so that we can be prepared for the next time. It's gonna be really tough when we get out of this because financially, every institution has taken a big hit. Um, yeah. And so getting back to anything that feels like normal is gonna take a while. You know, the other thing that we haven't talked about is our healthcare system is normally at capacity without COVID. And all of those right. patients who don't have COVID but have other underlying health issues that normally we are uh, taking care of, many of them have been put on pause. And figuring out how to ensure that those patients are getting the care that they need um, and able to access that care, I think it's going to be a challenge because a lot of places, uh, like a lot of elective procedural places, has, have had to shut down, have had to lay off people or furlough people. And getting those back up and running again is going to be very challenging. So this period of when we're through this, or we may not be through this totally for a long period of time. So there will be some layer of how do we manage care for COVID patients ongoing, but then what we, about else? <laughs> uh, yes, pulling the rest that we've put on this tremendous pause back, I think is going to be really critical um, and, a, and a challenge. One good thing that's come out of this has been the use of telemedicine which has really been remarkable. Mm -hmm. You know, something we spent a lot of time on building at the Brigham when I was there, and then literally now on an almost daily basis, they're doing um, as much telemedicine 
as they would have done over over possibly an entire year of time. And we've seen this across the country, that the amount of telemedicine that is occurring is has just been remarkable. Just out of necessity, right? So that's right? been a, so. a positive. Out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And, and it's an efficiency play. It will be an efficiency play going forward. If you can take care of somebody and they don't have to come in uh, to the facility, then we should be doing that. I'm guessing people are more open to doing it now too. Exactly. I think beforehand, there are a lot, it was so different from how we normally practice. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I will say there's uh, being able to have physical connection with patients is something that I know um, is really critical for most providers. Um, but learning how to be able to do some in person and then some remote, I think will be uh, more standard going forward. Definitely. Well, Jessica, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy. Um, and ho- hopefully uh, it won't be too much longer uh, before we can talk about sort of, uh, you know, look back and looking back at this and, and you know, and, and sort of doing, I guess, a, a postscript. But um, thank you very much. Great. Well, thank you for the opportunity and for communicating all of this to everybody. It's really appreciated. All right. Thanks. And that wraps up the inaugural episode of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening and hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again and stay safe.